Blog Talk Radio. I have returned to the land of the living. I am a zombie. I am a zombie. I am a zombie. Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. Alrighty, welcome to a special Sunday afternoon edition of Rubber Guard Radio. I am your host, Zombie, and this episode of Rubber Guard is brought to you by our sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com. You can get Lucha Libre masks, t-shirts, DVDs, a bunch of different other swag. And the other sponsor is SlamBamJam.com. Alfredo runs one hell of a website. You can get classic and current Lucha Libre and Japanese pro wrestling and some pretty good best of DVDs. Also need to throw shots out to the mothership, angrymarks.com. Without the Angry Marks, this show wouldn't be live on the internet. And also, I'd like to plug a website, friend of the show, one of our guests today, bobbarnett.com. Uh, you need a Rare Lucha, um, AAA TV from 93, 94, 95, a uh, bunch of different stuff. Uh, I suggest uh, Bob's Gringos Locos DVD set. It's it's one of the jewels in my collection. But we, we are here to uh, pay our respects to the late John Tolos, the Golden Greek, who passed away the other day. I have on the line uh, Mr. Bob Barnett, Mr. Dan Farron, and the boss, Jesse Hernandez. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Uh-huh. Hey, thank you for having us on. <clears throat> All right. My pleasure to well, let's, uh, let's uh, start from the beginning. Um John was born in um, in 1930 in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I'm not quite sure what year he broke in, but I think the the earliest result I have is from 1953. Um, does that sound right, Bob? Uh, that's what I was told. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah, sounds that's, about that's right. Because the... there are, you know, there's very few videos that exist, but there's some early days of television stuff that has uh, uh, told us. Uh, wrestling and uh, that was yeah he was he was pretty young I would say that was about right. I, I have here from um, October twenty seventh, nineteen fifty three. Um, he teamed with his brother Chris, and they won the San Francisco uh, NW, San Francisco version of the NWA uh, Pacific Coast Tag Titles from Ramon and Enrique Torres. So oh. yeah, that's the earliest. Yeah, yeah they, I, were uh, great, they were a great. They were I saw him about 1959 when I was a kid on TV in New York. That was the earliest I saw him. It was, it was, uh, wait, that wasn't Capital. Uh, what promotion was that one, Bob? No, it was, it was Capital, but it wasn't in New York. It was like in Washington or Bridgeport. There were oh, three, okay. They had three shows on during the week. There was about five shows on that in the New York market then. Jeez. Now, now, Jesse, when was the first time, um, you ever got to see John live? It was in the early 70s for the Mike LaBelle promotion. And let me tell you, man, the charisma that gentleman had, he was awesome. He, you know, guys like John Polos, Freddie Blassie, and so many others like him, you know, with great charisma is the reason that I'm involved in this business, you know, because they wrestle with their heart. They, they, their facial expressions is what turned me on. It's just amazing, you know, and uh, I wish the the younger generation will understand that, you know, how important that is, you know, to have the facial expressions and to wrestle with your heart and not just to go in there for a payday. Mm-hmm. Now, the 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 sad thing is 
um, the majority of, of kids, I say kids, which mean, you know, guys that are, you know, younger than you guys, um, would um, remember John Tolos as, you know, the goof, the coach that managed uh, Kurt Hennig. And, yeah. you know, that yeah. he, he was a lot more than that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah, what, what territories did he work? He worked L.A., he worked San Francisco, he uh, did some time in Texas, Ohio, Indiana, Toronto, Vancouver, um, Hawaii. You know, I mean, he was he was big all over. He toured Japan regularly. Um, yeah, he, you know, he there's, some, there's something that I that I hope uh, comes out of this, and that is, I I really hope that people do take the time, and it's it's rather difficult to try to find stuff about John, or at least whatever remnants of video or film exist out there, because one thing that's kind of dismayed me, and I don't want to sound like a dinosaur again, is kind of what Jesse was talking about. This guy was one of the greatest heels of all time, an amazing, amazing guy on the microphone, and and could fill up a building, and the thing was that people liked him. Even though he was a heel, they still would boo him and throw things at him, but they actually did like him, and when I see some of the stuff saying, well, uh, I don't know who this guy is, or, well, I wanted to skip ahead and listen to the stuff about Mr. Kennedy or something like that. It annoys me because you're you're going to, you know, the best way anybody really learns uh, from professional wrestling is to watch the greats at it, and, and Tolis, uh, he was that. He was really that. Now, now this past, this past Wednesday on my show, um, in the second hour, I, I had Rick Luxury on, who's a Northern California worker, and one of his... Uh, one of his um, contemporaries, someone that works in one of the same companies with him, called, and this this kid was young, just breaking in, you know, and he he had no idea about history. Mm-hmm. He didn't didn't learn about the business, nothing. He was a Monday Night Wars baby, and it, it it's a shame because you know all this all this stuff you see, you know, all these bloody brawls and all that, you know, you, you look back, you can actually trace the roots of that stuff. You know, to Los Angeles, to yeah, Memphis, yeah. to Detroit. You know, and this kid, I mean, it pissed me off. Mm. It ticked me off because, you know, he, did, he, he had no idea about the, the history of the business. And, you know, these kids aren't going to learn. Well, you know, I grew, they, they and, can, and I, and I grew up on the perfect. East Coast. And um, mm. when I got out here in 74, I knew who Tolis was from the After Magazines because – he just had a personality so big it just couldn't be contained even by uh by back by nineteen seventy standards where there wasn't a lot of information, just newsletters. Mm-hmm. Bob? Yeah. Yeah, well I mean listen, wrestling now is it's not wrestling anymore, so it's it's crazy just to even compare it. I mean, none of these guys have any sense of history. Everybody's got a it's sort of small and Cute looking, and they're all wearing the same gimmicks, and it's it's just a whole different thing. Because back then it was really organic, and you had guys that looked like, you know, they could fight in bars or unload trucks or something. And I mean, everybody had different personalities, so it's really it's really different now. Um, they stood out. They stood out from everybody else, man. Well, everybody they stood out because they were real. I mean, you just you, you know. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the meat and potatoes. Um, you know, obviously it was uh, uh, Tolis is most famous, I would say, in my opinion, for his his feud in Los Angeles with with Freddie Blassie. Um, now, who held the book at that time? Well, in L.A. Know that, I guess. Well, yes, yes, you know I, who. Well, you know, I mean, I did, you know, 
the, the, the later part, it could have been uh, the led uh, had the bulking mm. at the later part of his career, I would imagine. Uh, probably an earlier part was probably Mr. Moto, I, I would imagine. You know, I mean, I didn't get into the business uh, as a wrestler until late 1981, but I did follow, you know, very closely the the 70s. Uh, I would say from 70, 71 on, you know, and, uh, I, and, and then, of course, uh, I did take some time off, but I, I started wrestling. I started uh, watching wrestling like in 1960, I would imagine 1962, I believe, you know. Uh, but even though I had never seen wrestling before as a kid, and I've always told my students, you know, it always had a place in my mind. I, I would draw cartoons of wrestlers. I had never even watched wrestling on TV. Uh, maybe saw it on posters, uh, and that was it. I mean, you know, I had never seen a live event. I didn't see my first event I probably, probably until 1961 or 1962. And, and that was in Watsonville, uh, California. My stepfather and my mother took me out there, and there was guys like the Fabulous Kangaroos, uh, uh, Don Carson, uh, Freddie Blassie was on the card, and then the, the Taurus Brothers. Uh, man, I was hooked, man. <laughs> I was hooked. <laughs> now, now I, I ask, I ask the question why who the Booker was, be, is because I get the feeling by all reports and and whatnot and stories told that that this that they had their hand in this, in the program, kind of like Paulie would um, in ECW would uh, let the guys pretty much. You know, run their own program. Just give them a direction. Well, I, know, I know Blassie had a big, big hand in the program <laughs> yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Toes had some because they they were all real tight then. It wasn't the same kind of caste system that's in wrestling now, where you know the, these guys at the top and then everybody else is just slave laborers. So it, it was a whole different thing. Plus, they were all living around each other and everything, so it was a whole different dynamic. I mean, most of, most of the main event guys lived down in Santa Monica, and even Gorman and Goliath would go to the beach in Santa Monica, so there was a real heavy Santa Monica connection going on then. Yeah, I'm going to figure, Casey, probably that, that Blassie and Tolas had a lot to do with it. At that time, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a little bit of Jeff Walton might have been in there, and I think, I'm not sure who the, the again, that, that that's a little before I was out here, I'm not sure who the Booker was. It may have been Charlie Moto still at that point. Tolay, I think, was around 75 or 76, and then Leo Garibaldi after that. But, you know, it may have changed a lot. But it definitely had had the fingerprints of someone who knew how to lay out a story. I mean, it was obvious. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Now, did did they take that feud on the road? No, not really. I mean, Bob, were you at the um, Coliseum show? Um, no, I was. I think I was living in Hawaii when that happened. But um, or, no, or I, no, I was in Europe. Um, no, I was at the Olympic show when he came out with the dog collar and the snake. Ah, okay. And, and um, you know that pretty much changed my life for LA wrestling. But uh, <laughs> I, I used to see him in front of my house all the time. I told us the melts, and so I almost felt like I knew the guy because he ran in front of my house every day. Yeah, and up until actually about uh, the time that he had his stroke, um, out where I'm in the San Fernando Valley, sometimes on the way to work five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, I would see John walking up and down DeSoto uh, Avenue out here. Uh, and you could always blow your horn and wave to him, and he'd always wave back or whatever. Uh, but um, I, I think one of the reasons why the Tolis Blassie feud worked so well was that they didn't 
really they didn't take it on the road. I mean, they would chase each other and do this. I mean, as they talked about, you know, Blassie when he was coming back from before the big Coliseum show would would show up, you know, at the at the arena shows and chase uh, Tolis around. But one of the reasons why it worked so well was being really and truly they didn't touch each other. They didn't really wrestle all that often. They would bring them back uh, either to tag if one of them was a face or to uh, sometimes you know feud with the other one. The only the only thing that really uh, kind of put an end to that feud was Father Time more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you you mentioned the Coliseum show. Um, let's let I'll run down the numbers. It was August twenty seventh, nineteen seventy one, in L A. at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, and they drew twenty five thousand eight hundred and forty seven, with a gate of one hundred and forty two thousand one hundred and fifty eight dollars and fifty cents, and it was also shown live on closed circuit TV. Wow, and uh, they they had ten matches with a a lot a lot of lucha influence. Um, yeah, I think Blassie said Blassie thought there were forty thousand, and he got ripped off on his payoff. That yeah. they they used that number just to you know stab him in the back on the payoff. Yeah, yeah, because that basically <laughs> resulted in in Blassie going to the East Coast and then working for uh, Vince Senior that time as a manager. Because the payoff now, was bad after that. Yeah, the Sheik now, and what, actually the original Sheik and uh, Bobo Brazil were also on that card. I mean, they had really padded it all the way around every kind of wrestling style you possibly could. Well, let me see. Uh, no, Bobo was not on the card. Hmm? Okay. Um, the semi was the NWA lightweight title. El Solitario defeated Raul Mata. Mula was there. Uh, Gordman and Goliath defeated Kenji Shibuya and Mr. Saito, which was probably a hell of a match. Um, the San Francisco U.S. champ, uh, Peter Maivia, defeated Dutch Savage. And a uh, local favorite up here, who's trained a couple friends of mine, Paul DeMarco, was on this show as well. Uh, Grand Marcus, the Medics, Earl Maynard. I think I, I do actually do think Bobo and the Sheik were on it, because I had the, the, the Coliseum uh, uh, program, and there's a cartoon on the front, and they're actually in the cartoon. Hmm. Okay. There were a lot of matches that night. <laughs> there were a yeah. lot of matches that night, so it, you may just have a partial there. But uh, they, but the, see, they loaded it all the way with lucha. The Sheik and Brazil were also known out here. You had the feud, you had everything building up. But the thing that worked so well, again, was the build on it. I mean, you consider the fact as they talked about that Blassie, you know, was having knee surgery and and, and going to Japan eventually. But he went into the hospital, and you know, people could go down and visit him in the hospital. That's how well they sold it. <laughs> Man. Amazing, amazing. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, those uh, those guys. They um, I I would say that they uh, took care of their retirement fund with that program. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Well, yeah, I I, I hope so. Um, I I would say Tolis most likely, but probably not Blassie since he worked until he was like damn near dead. So. <laughs> yeah, well, they did their blow-off match didn't come until the 80s where they, yeah. they had another one I was at that one and that was so pathetic was that the cage match Bob? Yeah. I don't even remember all I remember is all Blassie could do was bite yeah and at that point, <laughs> I mean, he couldn't move at all Tolis was still in good shape but you know Blassie just bit him and bit him and he won the match and Tolis, Tolis bled and that was pretty much the whole match it was a real disappointment you know, was the, that, that at night, the uh is, is was that the, the Olympic, Bob? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that night was most famous for 
Mark Lewin coming in, everybody thought he was a face, and they didn't realize that he'd gone maniac, Mark Lewin, then. And also, that was the debut night of uh, Superstar Billy Graham with yeah. uh, Dr. Jerry. We all thought it was Eddie Graham. Then this guy comes out of the uh, dressing room with fringe on, juiced out of his mind, and we, no one had ever seen a guy like that before in L.A. Oh, Billy Graham. Jeez. <clears throat> okay, so... So Tolos, you know, he started out in Canada, then it, he migrated south. Um, it seemed like he, he preferred the western part of the United States, because I don't remember him doing too much in New York. I don't know. They were on cards. They were mostly semi-main. They wouldn't um, – occasionally on TV they would wrestle like a guy, like somebody like Lewin and Curtis Rock and Perez, and they wouldn't win, but – You'd see them mostly against guys like the Gallagher brothers and stuff on on TV, or they'd show a match from somewhere else. You wouldn't know where it was going to be, where it's from, and you didn't ever really see them in main events on the East Coast. I had sort of forgotten about them until I got here, and and then you know years later we became such a big star here. But back there, I used to just see them on on TV. I I don't think I ever saw them live when I was a kid. Yeah, you know it's interesting because uh, they Bob touched upon earlier that most of the guys lived here, and that was something that was really different back in those days because of the territories. And that is, you know, when you look at, like, Memphis, you think of Waller. When, you know, when you would look at, you know, uh, down in Florida, you thought of Dusty or whatever, or, or Bob Armstrong to some extent in some of those southern places. Um, I think um, that, you know, Tolis was, for whatever reason, was tied in, is a guy that you always, when you think Southern California, he's one of the first guys you think of. And I, whether or not it's because he just liked to go to the beach or do whatever, uh, he was that guy, and I think mainly because of the fact that he did live around here and was around here, um, I think that was one of the reasons uh, why that even though he was despised and riots would break out at the Olympic and they would do all that stuff, that was part of his talent because, again, like I said, when they would when he would walk in the building, because I used to go to the San Bernardino Arena, which was much smaller than the Olympic, and it was much more where the guys would literally walk in the front door with you. And, you know, they would come in, you know, Tolis would come in, and everybody would, hey, John, hi, John, how you doing? And then later on he'd be out there and he'd bust somebody open, and they're throwing stuff trying to get at him, you know. <laughs> and that was the talent that he had. But he was the guy that, uh, you know, was most identifiable here and uh, during that time. And, um, you know, I was pretty lucky to see him alive as often as I did. You know, one of my be- best memories of Polos would be when I, when I started wrestling and I'd have my matches and I'd come back into his dressing room. And, and of course, we all, you know, so when you're that young, you want to know how you did. So I would ask Tom Bernasco, Tom, was that okay with you? Oh, very good, son, very good. You know, pat me in the back. And, and, and as I walk into the dressing room a little further in there, uh, you have somebody like Polos tell me, Come here, kid. If you're going to do this, you've got to do it that way. Da, 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 da. I mean, that's what we all want to hear when we're young and, and learning yeah. this bit, you know. And he shared that with me, and I'm so happy for that. You know, I mean, that's what, the, that's what all the, you know, the young talent, they need advice. They need to be, you know, given advice to, you know, and John was good for that. I, I'm yeah, very and, happy. He was a, and he really was a bridge to the old days. I mean, going back to the, the 40s and, and the 50s and the original golden age of wrestling. And I know that he was trained by Wee Willie Davis, I believe. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, he had the opportunity of getting that stuff from a veteran who had been around, at, you know, in the, in the 30s and 40s. And, and that's where you learn. And there's not a lot of guys like that anymore 
who have worked different circuits and worked different styles. I mean, they tried to turn, they turned Tolis uh, Babyface a couple times. And it worked, uh, but it just it was it wasn't a gigantic thing because the fans would basically cheer for him anyway. He kind of was like the Steve Austin of his time when he turned face. He wrestled exactly the same. I think Kurt Brown said to me the other day that the only difference was he didn't drool as much, which he drooled much more whenever he would, uh, was the heel. But he wrestled the exact same way. And uh, he was the kind of guy when he would walk in a room, whether it was Cauliflower Alley or the the arena, and you go, hey, John, he would go, gentlemen, good to see you, and just keep on going. I mean, he was just a class act. Now, do you think that he will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? No, I, I doubt very much he would be unless they unless they were doing something out. Here's the deal is that the the – the Los Angeles, Southern California promotion out here, it was it was, it was such a um, you know a, a patchwork promotion of, of highs and lows, and and really the Coliseum time was probably the biggest time uh, that it had. And um, John Tolis, unfortunately for I think for the WWE, just doesn't have the uh, the name power. I mean, if they were going to come out here, they would do you know Mil Mascaris or somebody like that before they right. would do John Tolis. You know, it- Maybe because Viz doesn't have the tapes that Mike Mike LaBelle had, you know. Yeah, and, that's and if true. They buy that, you know. Then he'd be able to, be, you know, then they'd have something to uh, to show for and be able to induct somebody like John or other people like him, you know. Perhaps. Yeah. That's uh, why I think that. That's why I think shows like today and and whatever piece they're going to be doing uh, in the Observer, I'm sure, and other pieces will come down with Slam and other places like that. It's important, I think, to keep uh, John's you know, memory and John's story alive because he's somebody who, you know, as, as, they, as people talk about him, was one of the greatest interviews of all time. And this is something like you can't let this guy fade away. You know, you've got to yeah. keep his memory out well, there. And, and I, uh, I uploaded a cassette that somebody sent me when I was in Europe in 1970 when the feud was going on, and it's got about 20 minutes of tolls on it. They uploaded it. Meltzer was supposed to put the uh, URL online. I I don't know if it'll be if he's putting it on today or when, but I I put it up on SenseBase. You can hear some of Tolls' classic interviews. Oh, oh it's Pellerin. the audio. Yeah, it's an audio. Oh. <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny, Bob? I was um I was on the Death Valley Driver uh, message board this morning, and I searched Tolos for some odd reason, and and your post came up from 2006, and <laughs> I requested that it be re-upped. So I guess if Meltzer is going to uh, put it in the update, that that will uh, suffice. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, well, I put it up. I mean, anybody that that wants to hear it, they can email me, and I'll upload it again, or you know, I'll send it to him on CD. But uh, that was that was the classic time when you know it was him and Dick Lane. You, you forget that, mm-hmm. you know, as good as these guys were on the mic, they needed a guy like Dick Lane because oh yeah, Lane wouldn't buy any of their any of the heel stuff. I mean, y'all come on, and you know, give them a bunch of crap. And I mean, that's what made those interviews. Bob, how would you, if, uh, if someone asked you to describe Tolis's interview style, uh, how would you describe it? He was like a Neanderthal. I mean, it was great. He just—it was real simple. He got to the point. I hate you. I'm going to kill you. But you know, he had this crazy rough voice, and he's always making with the with the faces, and he's always telling the fans to shut up. It was real basic. You know, yeah. he didn't have to go through all these gyrations like these clowns do in the WWE, where they try to establish themselves for five minutes before they get to the point. No, and he didn't—he didn't have to have it written for him either. He could no, do he it. got right that to the point. That was the days when they would say, "You got twenty seconds, go." 
Yeah, yeah. The, thing, the thing you could really tell different about him is if you were backstage, when the last few years when I've been backstage, uh, all these guys are just, they're not, they're not a character because it's not their character. Uh, yeah. With Polis, he, he could always be a character. He used to, he used to um, get bothered. I used to see him at the uh, meat counter at the Vons on 12th and Wilshire, where he always got all the fat shrimp from me. And if he would see guys looking at him, he'd, I want a lot of meat trimmed. I want, it trimmed, I want it trimmed real tight, you know. He, he, he would cut promos. He heals up on him. That's funny. He would cut. He would cut a promo whenever he thought he needed to cut a promo. The best thing that I ever saw him do was at Channel Thirteen. Um, I I gone there with my friends after surfing all day. We were, you know, we were going to sit in the front where we were the first ones online. I had this huge poster of him that was backed. The, Backed on heavy-duty fiberglass. I even wore a uh, shirt and tie that day. I wanted to make sure I got in the front row. And I go up to him right away. Hey, kid, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't be here. You know, you're behind, like, I'm behind the barriers or something. And I was just about to walk away like I wasn't going to get any attention from him. All of a sudden, he sees Mascaris driving into the parking lot in a black Eldorado. Mascaris is, is wearing a mask because he had driven down Hollywood Boulevard. And he just held the pole aside. It was such, he was such a goof. And right away, he goes, Ah, there's Mascari, that bum. And he just started cutting, cutting a promo on Mascaris right in front of me just for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was the same no matter you know, what you saw on TV was what you got in real life. That was always so great about it. Yeah. My favorite, I think of, of one of my favorite interviews with him it was toward the end of the, uh, the L.A. promotion. Uh, he was uh, working in uh, some sort of angle with uh, El Medico Jr., and they did the old, the fan's going to present a painting, an oil painting of your father to you. And Polis came out, of course, and smashed the painting over his head and destroyed it or whatever, and left uh, El Medico Jr. crying on the on the, the floor. And Tolos came back later to do the follow-up interview, and the announcer was like, hey, you know, how dare you do that, John Tolos? And Tolos just took a pause and said, ah, I never liked the kid's old man anyway. Yeah, he <laughs> right to it. He really, he really used to do that stuff with Raul Mata, because Mata used to play that guitar, yeah. and you, you know. Oh, yeah. That, it was just like the scene in Animal House where Belushi smashes, you know, Stephen Bishop's guitar. I mean, it was, it was that same thing. He must have smashed a million of Mata's guitars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, i got to share another story, man. It was at the sure. sports arena. And, this, and Freddie Glassy was just managing for WWE at the time, and he came in. Uh, he wasn't even doing the live stuff at the show. So he would just come in to like promote some big event like WrestleMania or something, you know. So anyway, so Torres knew that Glassy was going to be there, so he went. He stopped by to visit, and uh, one of the guys from Channel Seven, he was a big fan of both of them, and he begged them both to please do a promo, cut a promo in front of him, you know, just for the hell of it, you know, and. And let me tell you, uh, I remember Tolos had his son, Chris, there, you know, with him. And the kid kind of stood to one side. And they, they, they Freddie and then Tolos just looked at each other, and they started, like, started slow, talking, talking. And, and as they spoke back and forth, back and forth, they grew louder and louder and louder until they both exploded. And as they both exploded, they grabbed the turn that they were going to hit themselves over the head with it. And then they stopped. They cut it right there. It was the most <laughs> beautiful thing I have ever seen, man. And, oh, it was just great, man. I, 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 man, it's just amazing what, you know, those two guys did. One time yeah. I, was, I was standing in the back of the San Bernardino Arena, and, and Tolis was just kind of like wandering around before his match, and this guy walked by and he said, Hey, John, 
my wife thinks you look like Burt Reynolds. This was the 1970s when Reynolds was still like the number one box office. And mm-hmm. Tolis looks at him and he goes, no, Burt Reynolds looks like me. Now, Jesse mentioned his son, Chris, who was named after uh, John's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did, did uh, young Chris break into the business? No, not, not to my knowledge. Oh. Not to my knowledge. It never did. No, oh, I'm sure John would have told him not to go into the business now. Yeah, exactly. yeah he's up early. So. Probably. I remember a lady asking John, to, uh, telling, uh, talking to John Tolis at the old San Bernardino Arena before the show, and mm-hmm. uh, he had gotten there early, and this lady was talking to him. Oh, you know, I, I got my son. He's, uh, he's training to be a wrestler. And John Tolis' uh, answer, to answer to her was, bless his soul. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, tell me, was was John difficult to deal with in the locker room, like Brody? No, not, not at all. But not to my knowledge. Everybody uh-uh. liked John. It, it was a different locker room then. They, they yeah. were factions. I mean, these guys all got along. They, you know, they, they knew each other. They partied. They ate together. They traveled together. They did everything together. I mean, this it was a whole different thing. And they drove together. Mm-hmm. That was the big deal because L.A. was a driving territory. Everything was close. That's why people like working here. You could, yeah. You know, the, the longest drive was maybe 150 miles sometimes, but mostly it was like 75 to 100. I mean, you'd, you'd see him. You'd see him go home in a car. You'd see Blassie and and uh, Red Shoes and Tolis all in the car together going home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Holy Jesse, did you ever were you ever in the ring with him? I'm trying to think. Uh, not, you know, maybe refereed. Uh, we worked in the movie uh, Grunt, the wrestling movie. I, oh I yeah, yeah, we worked on Grunt together. So you were a referee. You were a referee with him. Let me ask you a question: Was he really as stiff? Did he really potato as many people as they say he did? Uh, no, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, no, heck no, no. Those, those guys are fucking um, ballet. <laughs> you know, you know who they're going to potato? They're going to potato people that can't work. Yeah, that's who they're going to potato. If you can't yeah. work, you, you man, they'll tear you apart, man. But if you if you're nervous and you if you're nervous, you, you mess up, you're gonna get potatoed. But if you work, you know the right way. If you're ta- if you've been taught well, you're gonna get by okay. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Yeah, Tolis did some great bumps. I loved it because he was an older style and. Uh, the bumps were kind of big, and he did that hopping thing he liked to do. But I used to love it. They, he would, they would slam his head into the turnbuckle, and he would always grab his ear and hold his ear and stumble yeah, yeah, around. He held his ear no matter what he, bump he took. He'd hold his yeah, ear. Yeah, exactly. It's true. He took a backdrop. He held his ear. <laughs> yeah, I get it. His best move, though, was when he would get ripped into the turnbuckle, hit it on his right shoulder, and then bounce halfway across the ring. Yeah, exactly. Hold, and holding his ear. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, I can never figure that. What's he holding his ear? <laughs> you know, if you could find it, there is. There's this half hour um, um, piece they did in the '70s on Bruno San Martino that was Tom Seaver hosted. It floats around, uh, you know. Uh, but the thing is that the clips they used on um, on Bruno from the match was a night that they actually brought Tolis in to wrestle Bruno for the wow. title in the Garden. And you can see a little bit of Tolis, uh, of, of, of his working style in that. Uh, it's too bad that they never, you know, like, for example, the, the, the back east, the guys there, they never, got the, they never got their handle on Tolis. They never realized what gold they could have had. You know, like I said, again, it's like taking, taking Tolis in and making him a mute manager, you know, would be mm-hmm. like taking Luthezen and telling him not to wrestle. You know, I mean, yeah. it just didn't make any sense. 
but uh, occasionally they would bring him in for stuff, and I don't know why they didn't. I think he would have been a, a great uh, a foil for Pedro Morales or Bob Backlund back in those days. Mm-hmm. Now, and I also wonder, Also, I know that Piper, when he first came out here briefly, was here at the same time. I would love to. I would love to have heard conversations between Piper and Tolas, or if they had worked together. Uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Piper might have even picked up a few things from Tolas. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> was uh, Tolas ever considered for a run with the NWA World Heavyweight Title? No, I don't think he would ever. I, think so. I never heard anything about that. I don't know if I don't even think the LaBelle's be willing to put the money up for the belt, but uh, no. <laughs> but uh, I don't think uh, he was the kind of guy where I think that he always radiated heel, and I, I think it had been tough for him to go into different territories. And um, yeah, I don't, and I don't, also don't think he well, he was a good wrestler, but he wasn't versatile enough to go in. I think and work with a lot of the different places that he did. Mm-hmm. Good point. Now let's um, let's talk about his time in Hawaii. Um, you see, he he was awarded the North American Heavyweight Title in July of '77, and then in November of '77, he uh, won the tag titles with Bill Francis, beating Jesse Ventura and Steve Strong. Um, did you guys get a chance to see any of his uh, Hawaiian footage? No, I didn't. Um, yeah, no, um, unfortunately, I never got a chance to see any of that stuff. I saw. Some of the stuff he did uh, a little bit up north when he was working for um, oh, I can't, uh, Anton uh, Ripper Leone, but uh, after the promotion closed here, um, he didn't work a lot. He worked here and there from time to time, and but I didn't see any of the Hawaii stuff. Yeah, I I, I haven't either. I've only seen um, the '80s stuff. I've got some uh, of the, that San Francisco stuff. That yeah. Um, uh, he's still cutting good promos, and he still takes that bump and holds his ear and everything, but he really didn't have much to work with then because he wasn't in the main events, and they were pretty thin on talent before they closed up. But that, for people that want to, you know, see his face, that those are good ones to see. Oh, yeah. I got, I got about three of them. I, years ago, I made a video for him that I that I kept, a, I kept the original of. I gave it to him, and uh, it pretty much had everything I could find on him at that point. And... It's got about three or four of the San Francisco ones, and it's got that match with with uh, Chris, and it's got a bunch of those video uh, movie clips from the Olympic back in the prime days, the early 70s. But, uh, boy, there's just not much on them because LaBelle uh, erased all the tape. You know, he bulk erased all of it after, yeah. after he stopped getting making money on it. Yeah, and we and Bob just touched upon Tolis's face. That guy, he had a face, man. He was a good-looking guy, but he could twist that thing up. And I remember that he did a feud uh, where he was a, a face with Victor Rivera, and they did a bunch of matches, and Rivera finally defeated him. And it was a hair-versus-hair match, and Tolis got his head shaved, and uh, they shook hands, and then Tolis attacked him and, and, and turned complete heel. And when Tolis would get on TV and make do those interviews with the bald head and scream the face up and everything, he just looked psychotic. Yeah. I, I remember I, I that, think, man. I, I think that maybe Jeff Walton would have more stuff on him because I think he's got some of the tapes from that California Championship Wrestling disaster. Oh, yeah, man. That, well, he might. I don't, was he really with that for a while? Yeah, he I was. Yeah. That was yeah, he managed, they were showing I think he managed Tanaka or somebody. He managed yeah, it was Tanaka. Huh? 
And, yeah, and, and, and uh, he you know, he managed Tanaka. That's right. I, and I think he did Steve Strong too, did he? Or yeah, Steve Strong. Strong. Well, well, Walton was showing us Tux Newman tapes then. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Jeff might have some stuff. Actually, there, I do remember now he did do some stuff, and it wasn't bad. It it kind of looked more along the lines where uh, John probably was going out there and saying, I can't believe I'm working for these idiots that were running this thing. Yeah, well, that, you know? that was pretty short-lived. And it got yeah, that was short It looked like it was in a social hall in Long Beach where they taped it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, he was he was always something. I mean, when he worked, uh, you know, the other areas, I just think that they were unlucky enough not to understand how to use him. And I think... He, I think he, unlike a lot of guys these days, was able to guide his own career because, like, uh, for example, when Louis Talay was out here and he was doing the book, uh, Louis Talay had turned him face. And he just and, and he just did not look happy teaming with Louis Talay, uh, who was this little squat little, little French guy. And then Leo Garibaldi, who was a, a great booker, turned him back uh, heel again. And, uh, you know, Tolis was great at, t- at turning with people. Anytime Tolis was a face and he was like, you know, saying, oh, you know, this is a great young wrestler and I'm going to mentor him and I'm going to do this and this, he'd sit there and go, oh, in about a month he's going to bust this guy's head open. You know, and, yeah. you know, and he always did. <clears throat> now, you know, the, the, the one thing about John that, that sticks in my head and will always will, it says, quote, unquote, the only way to spell wrestling is T O L O S. That is classic. Classic anybody who, stuff. Anybody who lived out here was a wrestling fan from you know in the seventies on up. Wednesday night. Uh, you know, you could run into people, you could talk to somebody who, and they say, "Oh, you're in wrestling," and and eventually they will quote that to you, even though they don't know anything. They haven't watched wrestling in thirty years. They remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, how about the only way you spell Blassie is L-A-S. He also did that one, man. I used to, I, was loved, I loved going to Cauliflower Alley because there was always, you know, what's funny thing is, you know, no matter how much you like to always talk, that you know, that, oh, I'm smart fan, I know this, I know that. We're all marks deep down. And uh, when uh, Tolos was there, there's always every year there would be somebody who would very quietly go up and say, could I take a picture of you putting the corkscrew on me? You know, because he had that great corkscrew suit, uh, thing oh, where he with his God. knuckle. All it was was a knuckle to the temple. And they mm-hmm. sold that thing like it was, you know, like a DDT or whatever. And that's one of the things he's always remembered for. Yeah. yeah. Now, tell me, guys. Um, let, let, we'll start with Jess. Um, what do you think uh, John's favorite gimmick to use in the ring was as a weapon? As a weapon? Yeah, or that, that, you know what? Let me reword this. What was your favorite gimmick weapon that John used? I can't remember the weapon, but I can remember the oxygen tank, man. That that to me that was the greatest gimmick ever, man. When when he had he was going to have a match with somebody I can't remember who, and it was it was supposed to be a one hour time limit or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. and the, 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 he brought out this oxygen tank. Supposedly, so he could breathe, you know, and be able to withstand the the, the whole match, you know, to to be able to keep up. That to me, that was the greatest uh, thing ever, you know. So he'd breathe into this uh, oxygen tank or whatever, just you know, during the match. He'd get tired and he'd walk up to the go up to the corner and and breathe in. <laughs> but um, as far as I'm trying to think of uh, he, brass knuckles, he might have used. I don't remember, you know. 
Oh yeah, so there's there's a there's a promo on that tape of a brass knucks match, and he just brass knucks. I got the brass knucks. I mean, he yeah, he loved that stuff. You know, may, maybe maybe you can explain this for me, Bob. Now, uh, Tolis turned on Greg Valentine, uh, who was his tag partner, and they ended up having gladiator death matches. Please define what a gladiator death match is. Well, I don't even know what that one was. I was I I wasn't I was. I think it was a little bit in Hawaii when that was going on. Okay, my, how about you, Dave? Okay, let's go to Bob. Okay. Well, my Bob. favorite gimmicks of Tolis is two. One was the night at the Olympic when first he came out with the spiked dog collar for mm-hmm. the first time. I mean, people yeah, went berserk. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. at, during the same match, he brings out the box and opens it up, and there's a 15-foot python. And <laughs> I don't know what it was, Jake but Luke? you know, Blassie, most of Blassie's fans were – you know, Mexican and Chicano, and for some reason, when Tolos got that that um, snake out and started waving it around the ringside, and that's when the ringside teeth came right up to the ring. People were running up the aisles like you couldn't believe. I mean, I don't know what the deal was, but man, that I mean, he had he had that crowd ready to lynch him within two seconds. That night. he he spent at least half the match just you know waving the snake and pointing to the the collar. And then the other great thing that he did. Uh, back on the Channel 13 Saturday Night shows, he would debut the new, new Golden Greek mask, and he'd, he'd come into the ring, and then he'd put the mask on. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you knew who it was, and then he, you know, then he would slip something in the mask once in a while, but he would put the mask on, work the match. Or how and, about the glove? No, I didn't, I didn't remember the glove, but he would work the match, and then when he won the match, he would take the mask off. You know? Well, he... he put like a coin or something round and, and on his forehead, through, you know, through the eyepiece of the mask, and then he'd give the guy a headbutt. That was the, that, that was the finisher. Yeah, that's awesome. How, how about how about this this quote, guys? Ain't that right, brother Chris? That's right, brother John. Mm-hmm. That was a great one. You know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I keep jumping in. I get excited when I talk about Thomas because I really it's pretty rarely I get a chance to talk about him anymore. But my, to me, my favorite gimmick was the fact that my favorite gimmick of his was John Tolis himself. John Tolis didn't need a lot of gimmicks. John Tolis, I mean, he did the mask and the snake, but he didn't do that stuff all that often because he himself was, was kind of a gimmick in a way. He was a guy that knew how to talk, knew how to wrestle. He could, he could bring people into the arenas uh, with just the, the, the arch of an eyebrow. You know? That's right. Just and I hate to and I hate to tell you this also, I inf- I do know what a Roman Gladiator death match is because I is saw, I've seen enough of them. It's basically a no DQ. The guys wail on each other. They don't stop for blood. They don't do. And the only way you can win the match is to drag your opponent from corner to corner and touch the turnbuckle. That's right. mm. Okay. That's the yeah, one. Okay. So. Oh uh, yeah. So it's like a, a Indian strap, strap match, match without. Strap. Yeah. Oh okay. That's mm. cool. Strap match without the strap in a way, yeah. All right, I like that. Well, um, now Jesse, you've seen him live, correct? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your favorite John Tolis match that you've seen live? The best match that I've seen live. Well, okay. Well, you know what? Hold on. Before you answer, not counting Blassie, because those uh-huh. are just a given. I think uh, against Victor Rivera. After the turn. Yeah, I, I yeah after the turn with Vittori Vera, I thought some of his matches with him they were awesome. 
to me, I I really enjoyed those. I mean, just I don't know, just the way they went at it, man. It was great. Daniel, um, I enjoyed uh, some of the matches he had with Greg Valentine coming off of the turn, and mm-hmm. also when he was shooting with Sir Oliver Humperdinck and the uh, Hollywood Blondes. That's from a, a, a face side when he was a heel. So now very, those now now those blondes were uh, Buddy, Brown, Roberts Buddy Roberts and yeah okay. And yeah. Brown. When he was the I had to, it sticks in my head the very first time I saw Tolos was one of my favorite matches because he wrestled Pork Chop Cash in San Bernardino in a steel oh, yeah. plastic steel cage loser leave town <laughs> match and he won. And I remember basically how he got out of the cage and then he stopped and t- took a slow walk up the aisle. Do you yeah, know that? Wow! Do you know that they, uh, the Sun Telegram over here, the newspaper in San Bernardino, did a oh, a two-page uh, 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 spread of uh, of the pork chop cash uh, angle uh, that they did with the, uh, John Tolis back then. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they worked it so well. I mean, it was a big story in the newspaper here. Uh, two pages, two pages long, man. How this computer. Uh, uh, the expert from they call it from Washington D.C. came down to visit his relatives. <laughs> that was supposed to be mm-hmm. up. <laughs> and I remember they also they tied it in beautifully too because the next week they had yeah. Jeff Walton interviewing Tolos as he came into the KCOP Channel 13 from the parking lot in, and the first thing Tolos said was, "Hey, I got rid of that pork chop in San Bernardino. What do you think of that?" You know, they were able just to make sure they tied everything together. Yeah, man, it was amazing, man. Yeah, and, and you know, and he he and, and you know he and he put you know supposedly it was a you know it was not even a a wrestler supposedly you know the the whole storyline that this guy was just a, you know there visiting his relatives and they took him to the matches and then he gets winds up uh, interfering in a match and, and gets thrown in jail and then they pull him out of jail so that Tolis can wrestle him the next week and 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 John did the job for the guy, man, and then. And then yeah. finally locked out his belts to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he lost it all to, to this guy just to put the whole thing over. Yeah, man. that's back in the days, you know, he loses the original match in the Olympic and his uh and his, he gets his match back in San Bernardino. It doesn't quite seem fair, but uh <laughs> but it worked nonetheless. Uh. <clears throat> now, um let's uh let's talk about the angle with pork chop cash. Um which one of you three remember it vividly? wasn't here um okay. it, i don't remember i mean i came in when it was un, un, in the process what happened was uh they uh he, he was the fan out of the stands he came out as jesse was touching on he came out of the stands and um i is i think his his real name is bobby cash i believe he wrestled in the east coast as al nelson at one point but yeah uh, he came out of the stands and it was one of those if you read some of the programs and stuff at that time unfortunately it was one of those i like i like a, a mess of collard greens and chitlins and that kind of stuff they would write for him but uh he basically um he came out of the stands he uh, used a headbutt he won the america's title um he held on to it until around july of 74 when he lost it to ernie ladd and uh, then he stayed around for a while he had uh bobby cash had some had a feud with ken mantell for the junior heavyweight title and he did some tag team stuff I, when he came back after losing the loser league town he teamed up with st jones and wrestled the blondes a lot but uh, it was basically it was your basic fan out of the stands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did it, 
did John work a program with the Sheik as a face? I don't remember. I I don't remember that. Mm, I don't. The Sheik didn't come out here all that often. He might have, like, you know, before I was here, I don't remember it, but the Sheik only came out a couple times in the time that I really followed it. He uh, wrestled Pampero Furbo and um, some other stuff. But I don't think so. I don't think he would. Though it sounds like a nice, it would be it would have been a nice matchup. But the Sheik was usually safe for guys like Blassie or, or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see here. <clears throat> now, with with the exception to Blassie, um, what were what were the other um, programs that that he had that that drew you know a good amount of money? Uh, we'll start with you, Jesse. In your in your opinion. I think he had a he had a feud with, uh, with uh, Black Gorman, I believe. If I, uh, I I may be mistaken, but I, I can briefly think about that. You know, uh, he he had something going with uh, with, with Black uh, with Black Gorman. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some. Um, there was a few back in about seventy. There was a few heel versus heel um, tag matches where he did. They didn't even turn him. I don't. You know, maybe they ran short of ideas one night, or somebody didn't show up, but. I remember a couple times him being in a in a match with somebody against um, you know Shibuya and Saido or Gorman and Goliath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um I believe he had some. And Bob had touched upon the the tallest mask. Um, uh, he did have a a couple runs with Mill Maskris, which mm-hmm. always uh, always seemed to draw uh, Mill's rabid fans. And I think actually the tallest wound up. This is always so funny because. Uh, Tolles wound up putting up his mask against Mascaris <laughs> in a match. Because I remember ordering, in fact, for a quarter, I sent a, a quarter to Jeff Walton, who sent me a program, and I just laughed and thought, even then, you know, at that point, you didn't say, well, wait a minute, this guy's been seen without his mask. The other guy's career is his mask. You that's know? funny. You know, that's that that that's just as funny as, as going to see an El Eo Del Santo mask match. I mean, yeah, exactly. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get any more phoned in than you that. You would have you would have said the same thing about Blue Panther too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Blue well, you know, one night, one night, Tolis came in the ring with the mask already on, and he said he put his mask up against some jobber, and the guy beat him, and he pulled the mask off, and of course he had another mask on underneath. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that gimmick. That's yeah, awesome. Because he was always great. Go. I'm too smart for these guys. You know that was that was one of his classic <laughs> interviews. Oh my god. <laughs> now um I have a uh, a message for all three of you from uh Dave Meltzer. He uh I, I asked him to come on the show to uh to discuss uh Tolis but, but he's busy all day with interviews and stuff, so but yeah, he wanted me to say hello to you guys and, and, and apologize for not being able to come on. I tried to get Dave on. Um you know, because uh, obviously Dave was around. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. It was a. It was a he's also one of the guys. Lana would fan. probably know more about Tolis than Meltzer did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't wait to read the. You know, we're going to get uh, three observers this week: two for yeah. news and one for Tolos. Which yeah, is it's not a problem that me. you have to look forward to somebody passing away to really get a good story about him. <laughs> it really is. And this is yeah, yeah, well, it's about not the, UFC. He's about well. He's about the last one too. I mean, yeah. after Tolis is gone, there's you know all my heroes are pretty much you know the only guy left. I think is Cornette. I mean, everybody else is 
Yeah, exactly. I remember they even though the Tolis was a heel, they had a Tolis fan club, and Richard Dawson's son from Family Feud was the uh, president of it. Wow. Oh, tremendous! They had him on TV once or oh, once or twice, and they oh, presented. Yeah, Mark, you know, yeah. they they would always you know they would always give the wrestler one of those little what looked like little bowling trophies you know that your mom would win if she won duck pins that afternoon or whatever. You can bet he'll be at the funeral on Wednesday because he... yeah, exactly. He was an enormous fan of that. So um, now, Dan and Bob, are, you guys are going to go to the funeral, correct? I'm going to try. Uh, I'm going to leave her at eight o'clock. Hopefully, I'll get there by ten. It's it's fifty six miles, but it's like the worst stretch of freeway in, in the morning. So uh, I'm Jesse, going to try you... to, but I'm at least going to go and pay my respects on uh, Wednesday at least. Okay, to the the viewing. Um, uh, Jeff, are you going to Wait, the viewing or the, the funeral? Is the funeral on Wednesday? Uh, from what I read, I believe it was the the viewing was on Wednesday. The funeral was Thursday, unless I'm wrong. I need to take a look at it again. But Uh-oh. it was in the uh, Observer update uh, yesterday. I'll, I'll have to look at it again because I got I'm flying out of here on Friday. Okay. Ooh, okay. Pulling it up now, so I'll get that. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to make it out there uh, at least for one of them. I'm not sure yet. Uh, yeah. I happened to take Monday up from work and uh, you know to take off again. Uh, I gotta see my schedule. I see yeah, I, I work for the city of San Bernardino. So. <laughs> okay, right. Here, here's the information for uh, everybody that's listening. Uh, the visitation for John Tolos is Wednesday night at the Crawford Mortuary in Northridge, California, hmm. from five to eight. Uh, the number is eight one eight three four nine nine seven zero one, and the services are Thursday morning at St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church in Northridge. 9501 Balboa Boulevard at 10 a.m. I think maybe the viewing um, will have a, have a little more uh, reminiscing going on. Maybe I'll go to that on Wednesday night. Also, um, also if anybody would like to um, send messages to John's son, Chris, uh, you can do so at 23012 Bigler Street, Woodland Hills, California, 913-64-2705. And, you know, I almost would wish, and I, and I say this with, with, with great respect to John, I would love that if, if on his tombstone it said, uh, you know, the only way you start wrestling is yeah. T-O-L-O-S. I, uh, that would be very nice, I think. That definitely would be. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, um, we're going to... Uh... We're going to cut it down a little early because uh, the Giants are on in a couple minutes, so... Um, well, let's, uh, <laughs> well, what, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the horn. We're going to start with uh, Jesse. Um, let's plug your website, your school, your promotion, and pretty much everything else. Well, uh, School of Hard Knocks, uh, to get information on the school, go to the EmpireWrestlingFederation.com. There it is. And you there can get is. all the on the events and uh, the school. Nice and easy. Jesse, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts and memories. And, you know, it was cool to have you on again, brother. Thank you for the, in- the invitation. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure having you on, Jess. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Sir. Okay, so uh, let's uh, head over to Shoot Fighter Dan Farron. Um, <laughs> what's. Garbage uh, Brawl. Yeah. What, what are you, you going to plug? Uh, I'm just going to basically, well, I have my own website, uh, Dan Farron, D-A-N-F-A-R-R-E-N, 
uh, com. It covers uh, my writing and my stand-up comedy that I do. Uh, but actually, Kurt Brown and I were talking. We are going to start doing, because we worry that the L.A. days are going to start disappearing. So we're going to start talking with, with people like Bob Barnett and other people and, and start trying to get this stuff down, because uh, unlike a lot of other, uh, you know, a lot of other territories, um, there's there's not a lot of uh, reminiscing about LA out there, and I and we don't want that to die. So uh, you can uh, go visit me there, or, or send me an email at danfarron at mac dot com, and um, be more. Than also, happy. Uh, we 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 have to plug Kurt uh, StanTheEmbryo dot com. Yes, go to StanTheEmbryo dot com. It's uh, it is definitely worth uh, the the price, which is nothing. Yes. Now, I'll, I, like I said earlier uh, on an earlier show when I had you on, when uh, you and you and Kurt uh, get the uh, Southern California History website going, um, you will get free sponsorship on my show. Well, thank um, you very just, much. Appreciate just because uh, you guys are you are a couple good guys, and you know we need to keep history alive. Right. Um, because uh, Vince's vision is not the only uh, version of history. So. Yeah. But uh. Daniel, thank you for coming on, brother. Um, hey, listen, next thank time you. Always see- a pleasure, and and uh, good to talk to the other guys too. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's great to get to. It's an honor for me to be able to talk about John Tolos. Awesome. Thanks again for calling thank in, Dan. You, it was good to uh, talk to you again, Bob. Okay, I'll see you. Maybe I'll see you right. Wednesday night. That sounds good. All right, brother. Okay, that was uh, shoot fighter Dan Farron, and we are going to end up with last but not least, Mr. Bob Barnett. Um, it's simple, BobBarnett.com. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all. If anybody uh, orders anything this week and they want a CD of the uh, Tolos, I'll just burn them a copy of the Tolos interviews because that's really the only interviews that I know from the classic LA days that still exist. I haven't been able to find anything else. Now, now that I'm alone with you, Bob, um, I have a question. Um, what was the Bob Wire cage match in AAA? What do you mean? What, what was it? I've seen a yeah, few who of them. Was I'm in not the match. sure which one you were talking about. Um, I think Psychosis was in it. There, there, I, I remember one that was in Tijuana. But yeah, that's right. It was Tijuana. The thing that was amazing. Oh, the, oh, you were thinking about the one with him and the, oh, the guy that became the psycho, uh, later Psychosis. Yeah, and they went up. That was a Christmas. That was Christmas in ninety two or ninety three. In- was that Tijuana, that was Tijuana, right? Yeah, it was in the auditorium. That was the bloodbath where they all just sliced each other and there was fire. Right. Uh, yeah, Ron Rivera shot that. I think it's on one of my comps. I, I don't know if. Uh, Big on Big, the Looney's comps. It, it's probably on an early Japanese or or or, uh, or one of my lucha comps. It, it's not a great match. It's just chaos. It was, it was right. one of Conan's first chaos bookings where everything goes and then they even shot in the dressing room later while these guys were picking at their giant scars and oh man it was, mm-hmm. you know they went they did a cross thing somebody uh, cru- got crucified on top of the arena and you know it was one of those things Conan really really went to the wall with it because yeah, I'm, I'm starting to I'm starting to get into the the hardcore lucha so you know I wanted to uh, check yeah, well, out that, the uh, that Bob was Arcadia. the first that was what put hardcore lucha on the map I mean he Conan really just took it to the limit. There were other matches, too. I saw him in a barbed wire match once, but I think he had a fear of heights because he was climbing up the match, and he froze right in the middle of it, and all of a sudden there were just wrestlers hanging on to him. Nobody was moving. <laughs> <laughs> that, happened, that happened at the uh, cockfighting arena. I can't remember the name of that. Oh, Palenque in Tijuana. Mm. 
mean, so, uh, have you what? Ha, have you gotten in any new footage? Uh, no, I got a guy that's supposed to be sending me a ton of stuff, but he's an engineer in Mexico City and he's always out of town, so I haven't been able to get anything from about six months. He just he emailed me two weeks ago and said there'll be a lot of new stuff coming in, but uh, you know, you know. I I've been uh I've been watching uh, Tijuana from 2001 uh, that yeah. I got from SlamBamJam.com, yeah, my sponsor. Um, yeah, that's the good shit, man. That stuff is just wild. Yeah, there's um, there's some good stuff, Dan, and. Uh, Bob Boyd shot a lot of really great stuff too. They have a there's a bunch of stuff that was supposed to come out on, on um, high depth, but uh, this company went up, belly up. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't been released yet. That's really much better quality than Slam Bam Jam. I mean, this is like two and three camera shoots, but it hasn't been put out yet. Um, I'm gonna see about my friend Bob putting it out. I don't know. And then, you know, I shot a lot of stuff in the in the auditorium in the mid '90s. That was. You know, that was the most talented group I've ever seen. I mean, that was when Parker was in shape and Psychosis and everybody and Ray. Well, you know, since since you're on the line, we can we can talk some current stuff. Um, what, what are your feelings on Santo coming back to AAA? Do you think it's going to work? Uh, you know what? They probably got him for nothing because his wife has become such a big pain in the ass that Santo wasn't getting any, any bookings. I mean, he went over to England and got, you know, he made about 10000 in a weekend, but... Uh, Nobody in, in Mexico will pay him. He, his wife was quoting everybody five thousand. Even guys up here who he'd worked for for years. I mean, all of a sudden he went from fifteen hundred to five thousand overnight. He's like forty-eight years old, and it's just it's ridiculous. Can't move. Uh, well, he can move, but he wrestles well, the same match and he does two dives. I mean, it's a it's a right. big joke. He's done the same match a million times. Nobody will work with him because he's a midget. I mean, vamp. We'll work with him, but you know he doesn't really want anything to do with the guy. I mean, they people just hate him and they hate his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I I have um I have the the London show fan cam from December ninth. Yeah, 9th. That's, a, that's a good take. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, with the exception of uh, Mexico de Juarez, that guy's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't they weren't bringing over high priced talent. Yeah. Uh, he's horrible. But he actually a couple of weeks ago he he beat uh the. Uh, Mystico, or yeah, the Mystico from uh, Tijuana in a mask match in San Diego. So I'm I'm waiting for that to come in. So or yeah, I'm waiting for that to come in because I've I've got a friend that rents his ring down there in San Diego, and and they use you know a lot of the Tijuana guys, and it's pretty wacky. Yeah, but, it, uh, there's there's not too many big shows being run at TJ right now. I don't know why. Uh... I, I'm waiting for the you know for the drug scene to chill out, man. So I can, uh, you know, I'm I'm due to take a trip to San Diego, so I'd like to go oh, on yeah, a Friday we go night. Yeah, we're there right now. There was a ton of beheadings in Tijuana last week. There you they're go. Not, they're not even reporting them all anymore. I mean, you got to be absolutely nuts to go south of the border right now at, at Tijuana. You can fly down to Cabo, but if you cross the Tijuana, you're just nuts. All right, Bob. Well, um, BobBarnett.com. Um, yeah. Rare and Wacky Lucha and a bunch of different other stuff. Uh, check out Lanomania. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> I think there's going to be another chapter this week. I just have a feeling. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. But, Bob, it was a pleasure. We'll have to have you on again. It was uh, definitely fun. Okay, anytime. Awesome. Thanks for your time, brother. Take care. Easy, bite. All right. Okay, that was uh, Bob Barnett, the man, the myth, legend. Uh, we've gone over an hour. So uh, the stream's off, but we're still uh, we're still recording. So let's plug the sponsors, WrestleWarehouse.com, Lucha Libre masks, T-shirts, DVDs, a bunch of different stuff. 
Also, slambamjam.com. You can get current and past Lucha and Japanese pro wrestling. Um, some really good best of DVDs. Uh, just a bunch of wacky stuff. So check out slambamjam.com. And in the comments of your order, tell them that Zombie from Rubber Guard Radio sent you. Also, I have to throw props out to the mothership, angrymarks.com. Props to the brothers, Stevie J, everybody else. Thanks for uh, showing the love. I appreciate that. And uh, friends of the show, bobbarnett.com and lightsoutradio.com. Also, uh, if you want to hit me up on the MySpace gimmick, myspace.com backslash rubberguardradio. Or you can email me directly, kidzombie2000 at aol.com or rubberguard... Or, nah, that's it. Um... We'll be back on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific with a soon-to-be-announced guest in the first hour. In the second hour, will be old-school Oliver John. So I will talk to you guys on Wednesday. Laters. <laughs>